Well, June 1st uh, was an anniversary in some ways for me, and I spent that anniversary away from my wife and uh, with Peter Yu's community group while he was rock climbing. But the anniversary for me started actually 20 years ago when on June 1st, 1987, I hopped into a old Toyota minivan with Robert Gady and headed down to Memphis, Tennessee to a Southern Baptist first annual Korean-American conference on how to minister to second-generation Koreans. That was my first day in ministry, first day as a pastor. And I remember it was a long ride. And um, the intent for me at that time was to work at Grace Baptist Church for about a year and find somewhere else. Because if you probably haven't noticed, as of yet, I'm not Asian. And so the thought of actually working with second-generation Korean-Americans seemed, dare I say, foreign to me because I was so used to doing everything so Anglo. And it's been a long journey along those 20 years. And what I wanted to do today as I was reflecting on those 20 years was share a few of the things that I have learned and seen in churches over that time and bring it more so into what I still see in the present and how things really haven't changed much in in 20 years. And what I wanted to do was basically give you, and I know that we have heard this before, but give you a picture of the need to take your next steps. Harvest Community Church basically calls ourselves the church of next steps. What's next? What's happening next? And I want to just look at two biblical examples of groups of people who took their next steps, bring that to ourselves, and push us towards the future. Not because I want us to move, but because I believe God wants us to move in that direction as well. Let's read Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 21. And it reads this way. Now those who have been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. The context is pretty simple. We learn here in verse 19 is that after the persecution at the end of Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8 with the martyrdom of Stephen, the people scattered from Jerusalem. Now, some commentators will say the reason that the persecution occurred in the first place was because God had told the church to go to the ends of the world, but they began to grow comfortable and they were really enjoying Jerusalem and they weren't going anywhere. And so God brought this persecution into their lives to just get them out of their comfort zone and begin to get them to fulfill the Great Commission as Jesus had commanded the apostles. And as they were now moving out, they went to several cities. But what I find interesting here at the end of verse 19 is that they were telling the message only to Jews. And basically, the church in the beginning was a Jewish church. You had your Cornelius event in Acts chapter 10 and beginning to spread to the Gentiles. But it wasn't really something that was in the DNA of the church just yet. Now, what was going on here 
As some of these people from Cyprus and Cyrene, as we read in verse 20, they went to Antioch and to them, as they looked at the city and they were preaching the good news to the Jews, there was something in them that I think that struck them was wrong. I think they were beginning to feel that as they were sharing the good news with the Jews and they looked around them and saw a city where there were more Gentiles than Jews, there was something that struck them that was just simply wrong. And I don't know if they were sitting in their small group Bible studies. I don't know if they were sitting in a church service or in their personal quiet times that as they were reflecting on the message of the apostles and the need for them to go to the ends of the earth and realizing perhaps that God so loved the world that something began to stir within them and they saw that this was quite frankly wrong, that they were only speaking the message of the good news to the Jews. And so in the midst of this, I would think that there was a theological reason. God loved the world. God wanted to reach the world. God had called these people into his church family in order to go and reach the world. And then in a practical sense, here were a large group of people larger than the group of people that they knew who weren't hearing the good news of Jesus, and they did something about it. They, as it says here in verse 20, some of them began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about Jesus. They did something. They took their next steps. Now, what I I like about this passage, and I, I seem to like these passages, not because I want to minimize who we are, but I like these passages because you know of nobody's name. Nobody's name is mentioned here. All we know is some of them. And when I look at that word them, I I wonder to myself, when they say some of them, do they mean some of those people who are leaders in the church? Or do they just mean people who are the average ordinary people who come to church and they begin to realize that there is something wrong with the way that they're doing ministry? I don't know who it is, but I would tend to say that it's probably not the leaders of the church because often leaders have a focus that will blind them to the big picture, which is also true. Sometimes the leaders of the church have the big picture and the people in the pews don't. But in this instance, my thinking, and we could get to heaven and I could be totally proven wrong, is that there were people who were sitting in the pews, if we can say pews, although they weren't really church buildings back then, but just to kind of give you a picture, who were saying, this is not right. So these unnamed, ordinary people sensing that something was wrong, something stirring in their spirits, something that would be frustrating them as they looked at all of the people around them, understanding that the message of Jesus was love and forgiveness and the opportunity to know God and have eternal an eternal relationship with God, to be saved from condemnation and the wrath of God, that something stirred within them, these lay people, these unnamed ordinary people, and they did something. And when I look at a group of people like that, I'd like to say as they were praying and seeking God, that they began to think about their next steps. What is it? that we need to do next. As we go to market, we see all these people who aren't Jewish and we know what their eternity is going to be like if they don't know about Jesus. If they are in a neighborhood where they're looking at their neighbors or just anything that they're doing, that frustration beginning to well up into them and they actually do something. Now, one of the things I like about the philosophy at Harvest about next steps is it's beginning to affect me in such a way that I have now several files on what are my next steps to do. 
And one of the areas that I have next steps for is the ministry that I do at Cook County. And one of the things about going to Cook County, to be absolutely honest with you, is I don't enjoy going at all. Um, I would prefer to stay at the church office and uh, catch up on email or prepare for things or get things done. One of my frustrations is is that when we go there, basically, uh, we're, we're and to use the pun, we're basically handcuffed in a way that we really can't do ministry. Because when we go on the deck, the guys are complaining that what used to happen in the program was life learning skills and learning how to do things. But all we really get to do is to go and preach to them. Now, I don't. It's not very easy to preach to 48 guys who you basically know aren't going anywhere except further down state as they're awaiting for trial. And it's really hard on a deck where just about everybody is Christian to kind of give them a, a message of reaching the world and touching the world and, and ministry. And, and it begins to build in me a sense of frustration. And the other person that I go with were very frustrated because in our thinking, really all we're doing is a ministry just because. And, and I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you do a ministry just because. But for me, the reason I'm going is just because. And that creates a sense of frustration. Now, we have someone who is above us, who is in charge of this program, who is supposed to give us resources, who is supposed to give us guidance. I may send him an email and not hear from him for four or five weeks. And it gets very frustrating. Guys on the deck frustrated and I'm frustrated. And I had to say to myself, listen, I have the opportunity here to do something instead of being frustrated. I need to start taking some next steps. So whether or not this person who is supposed to be supervising us is going to help us with these next steps doesn't make a difference. It's next steps that I need to take, programs that we need to bring in. So last Wednesday, we sat down with these guys and we said, you know what? We really don't enjoy coming here. We don't want to just preach to you. We want to give you life skills. And so what are some of the classes that you want to learn about? They want to learn about how to be a long-distance dad. How can you be a good father from a prison cell? They want to learn about job skills so that when they do eventually get released, how they can actually get back into the community. How many of you have seen Shawshank's Redemption? The first guy that gets out had no idea what to do. Those are the next steps we take. And I tell you all of that because the decision that my partner and I made was quite simple. Even though the leadership of this ministry is not willing to take the next step or is unable to see the next steps that need to be taken, we need to take the next steps because this is what God has called us to do. And that's why when I look at these three simple verses right here, what I see is in these some of them, these unnamed people who are probably lay people like all of you here, they basically said whether the leadership recognizes we need to do something or not, we need to do something and we're going to do something. They actually said we have, not these exact words, mind you, this is a paraphrase, we need to take next steps. And they took those next steps and just like Bill Hybels' new book, they walked across the street. They walked across the room. They walked across the marketplace and they began to share the good news with the Greeks as well. And look what happened, verse 21. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. They took their next steps. And one of the things that I have learned in 20 years of ministry is when people 
and churches stop growing, it's because they stop looking at what their next steps are. The reason, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, that I think older folks get grumpy and they complain about church and the youth and all those things is because they're not thinking in terms of next steps. What does God have for us next? When God calls every one of us, leadership or layperson, into his family, he is calling us to continuous growth. Not growth that leads us to a point where we can say, okay, now it's my time to take a break. I can take a break for a while. I can take a rest. But God is calling us to continuous growth. So the one thing I would like you to get today is this. First point, you must keep taking your next steps. You must keep taking your next steps. So I don't know where you are at right now. But in every area of your life, you should be asking yourself, what is your next step? At the beginning of this year, because I read too much and I was thinking about what are my next steps were, I decided that I needed to, and this is not a weight issue, um, I needed to go deeper instead of wider. Because I know you guys are thinking that you're a little wider on the belly anyway, Because, but anyway, that's another story. I needed to go deeper and not wider. So I said, I'm going to narrow my focus into these few things this year and found out by March that I was doing much beyond what I had to do. And I had to, in order to follow through with my next step, say, I need to cut some things out of my life in order to take the next steps that God wants me to in order to grow deeper. But we'll get into that a little bit more. So first thing, you must keep taking your next steps. Second thing I learned from this passage Your next steps are easier when God strengthens you. Your next steps are easier when God strengthens you. Let's read verse 21 again. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, when you look at that, you see when someone is taking their next steps, and when they're walking where God wants them to walk, what you see is fruit. There is fruit from their ministry. It's not just an activity. It's not just a missional activity like we talked about a few weeks ago, where here's an event that you're supposed to do and you want to feel good about the fact that you're active in your world and you go do it and then you go back home. But here's a group of people who were seriously committed to what God wanted to do in their lives in Antioch. And when they did it, the Lord's hand strengthened them. But it wasn't an afterthought in the sense that as they were doing God's ministry, God strengthened them. But I really think if you read the whole of the Bible, you will see that this group of people spent a tremendous amount of time connected with God, entering into prayer, seeking his face, seeking the next steps that God wanted for them. So I would say if we were to read this verse, it would be the Lord's hand was with them before, during, and bearing of fruit afterwards after their ministry. And in 20 years of ministry, one of the things that I have really seen that helps people take their next steps, that I have really seen bears fruit in ministry, is when the church as individuals are praying. And when they come together as a corporate body and they're praying, one of the things I've also seen is that ministries, 
ministries struggle when they don't pray. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of burnout. There's a lot of people who are saying, I'm tired. There's a lot of people who are saying, I'm weary. I can't go on. I need a break. I need a rest. And it's because we're doing ministry in our own strength. It's not our dependence upon God seeking his face and his hand of favor in order to bring about change in people's lives. You know as well as I do, trying to change people is an impossible task. You've probably been in a situation where you have sat down with someone, you've explained to them the logic of your position, the dangers of their position, and then if they continue on, they're going to have all of these troubles, and they don't listen at all. And they begin to have those troubles. And so you speak to them again and, and you explain the logic of your position and the dangers of the uh, road that they're heading upon and they still don't listen. Changing people in your own strength is impossible and it drains us. Now you have to understand when these, some of them, unknown people went out to the Gentiles, they really didn't have a Bible in which to refer to and say, hmm, That's really interesting. I never saw that in the book of Genesis before. Because what they were doing is they were speaking to people who had no Jehovah background whatsoever. Very similar to a lot of people today when you go to work who don't understand what's in the Bible or what's there and will go upon things that they've heard but really haven't investigated at all. How can these people who are just ordinary people, just like the rest of us, go into Antioch, begin sharing the message of Jesus Christ with a bunch of pagans who believe in a variety of gods and a very sensual lifestyle and have these guys come along and change their whole outlook and perspective on life and God? It doesn't happen with their own wisdom. It happens because the Lord's hand of favor is upon them. And the Lord's hand of favor doesn't come upon us because we know we need it and we know we should pray and we beat ourselves up because we don't pray enough. It's because they actually spent the time doing that. Last weekend, this is actually the first week that I've been upstairs in four weeks. Uh, Mother's Day and the week after I went to Seeds, quite an enjoyable ministry, hanging around with the two-year-olds. I found someone that is of my social um, friendship level, I guess you could say. But last week I went on a retreat to California. And um, I would have to say about one-third of the way through I, I wanted to go home. Uh, not because I'm, you know, like a, I don't know, you know, can't be a mama's boy because I don't go home to my mom. Do you say a, your wife's boy or something like that? I don't know. That kind of sounds weird, doesn't it? I don't know, but I, I miss my family, but, and I always miss my family. But I, I think the, the hard part of it was getting up there and speaking to a group of kids feeling like nothing was coming from me other than a pep talk. Now, you know, when you're a retreat speaker, well, well, maybe you're not a retreat speaker, but as a retreat speaker from experience, when you go to a retreat, people are always going to say, wow, that was great. Wow, that was wonderful. Because when you go to a treat, uh, you take your year's worth of best illustrations and you bring them with you and you take all your cool, really, insights and you take it with you and everybody goes, wow, because they don't hear you every Sunday and all that, how that all drags on. But they're like, wow, this is great. But as I was doing that, as every time I, I, I got up there, there was a part of me that felt like it was just dying inside because I felt like I was speaking to these kids and they weren't really hearing Because to me, it was a very strange group. We would enter into worship. 
And for 45 minutes, these guys would be jumping and shouting and dancing and raising their hands and singing. And I was like, wow, this is this pretty good. This could be cool. And then I'd get up there and speak, and there were like four or five pockets of people talking to each other. And I mean, not like just talking to like, you know, some people talk now, they just kind of lean over and you whisper. But I mean, they were talking to each other. So the only way to interact with them was to actually speak to the people who were speaking while they were speaking to someone else. So they'd stop speaking to the other person and would actually pay attention. Does that make sense? And then uh, the message would get over, and I'd sit down, and I'd go, oh, God, that was, that was horrible. And then we'd start doing worship, and they'd start dancing and singing, and then we would pray for two hours. Now, I, I don't know. I never went to CFC. And, um, but usually, if I understand this correctly, when you go to CFC, you have somebody up there who's guiding you through the prayer times, right? This was really cool about these kids. They needed no guidance whatsoever. The youth pastor got up there. He shared about two minutes. He said, okay, let's pray. These kids, they'd start praying, and they'd get up, and they'd start praying for their friends. And I was like, wow, what happened? Worship really well. Don't listen to the message. But then they're just praying like crazy. <laughs> and then when we're done praying after two hours, they went back to their normal. So there was just kind of like a roller coaster ride all week long. I'm, I'm telling you that because in taking your next steps, you have to do ministry in the strength of God. And as the week went on, the more I wanted to stop preaching is because I felt less and less like I was actually entering into God's strength to reach these kids. Doing ministry without God, I don't want to say, uh, uh, I don't even know how I want to say it, but, but without God in the, in the midst of what you're doing, Him first, foremost, and primary is, is a waste of energy and time. And so by the time the retreat is over, I swore off retreats and I would never go to another retreat again, probably until the next time I'm asked. But Wednesday, when we were leaving Cook County, I turned to my partner and I said, I really hate preaching. And he gave me this look like, are you the Antichrist? <laughs> and for, for like 10 minutes, he just was, he, he wasn't connecting with me anymore because I, I think I'd thrown him. And I realized as I was preparing for this um, message this week was, I many times will minister in the strength of my experience. So retreat becomes ministering in the strength of my experience. I went to that retreat thinking the insights that I have are cool, the illustrations that I have are neat and are relevant without really working or walking in God's strength. In 20 years, I have seen that over and over and over and over and over and over. If you want to take your next steps, and I encourage you, you must take your next steps. You must take your next steps in the strength of God. It will make ministry so much easier. And what I find really cool is here, look what happens. Verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. The fruit of walking and working in God's strength is changed lives. You know, we often think the blessing is the material blessings that God gives us. We often think the blessings are the great feelings we have when we worship and how that kind of just releases us and frees us. But I want to tell you what I think is the Lord's hand of favor. The true blessing that God wants to give us is working with him, taking the invitation that God has given us to join him in reaching this world, working in his strength and seeing lives changed. 
I think what frustrated me about that retreat was I did not see changed lives. I saw a lot of religion. Which is not to say these kids are bad. But it is to say, as a lesson for all of us, that when God invites us into ministry to work with him, it's so much easier when we take our next steps in his strength. Third point. And this is exactly like the first point, but I want you to turn to Acts chapter 15. Verse 36. Third point. Same thing as the first point. You must take your next steps. Verse 36. Sometime later. Now what's really cool about those three words is that Paul and Barnabas are at the pinnacle of their ministry or the mountaintop or whatever you want to call it. They have reached a high place. Uh, Paul had a dramatic, exciting conversion, and he started sharing the gospel with the people at Damascus, and he sees fruit, and the leaders get mad, and they want to kill him, so he flees, goes to Jerusalem, has the same sort of occurrence. Everywhere Paul goes, he's running away. Barnabas, as we saw in Acts chapter 11, will eventually come to that church at Antioch. Paul will become his minister, uh, partner in ministry. Acts chapter 13, the two of them will go on a missionary journey and they'll go over to a certain part of the world and they'll see large numbers of people coming to faith in Christ, Jew and Gentile as well. They're just having an exciting ministry. I mean, there's some problems. A couple times they get beaten and flogged and stoned, not to like getting high stoned, but stoned by stones. And uh, they have all these exciting things going on. Their church is flourishing and growing. They come back to Jerusalem because there's a theological split. They make their case. Everybody says, you guys are right on the money. We're going to do ministry the way you guys tell us to do ministry because you're so right. Everything is going well. They go back to Antioch. The church is still growing. I mean, here are two people that could basically say, we just want to die here at Antioch. I mean, the first church that I went to, I was there for 10 years. When I first, after the first year, when we re-upped the contract, I said, boy, this is the church that I want to die at. I want to live here forever. You know, John MacArthur's been at his church for 25 years, I mean, probably 35, 40 years now. I want to be just like John MacArthur and be at that church forever. And it would be nice to say, I would like to be here forever as well. Uh, stay here with Pastor Dave and minister here until we're in our 60s, uh, maybe 70s. I'll get there a little faster than he does, but not much faster. Some of you will get there before me, neither here nor there. But I want to be there forever. These guys could have said the same thing. This is really cool. But you know what? Sometime later, here it is again, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. In other words, he said, what are our next steps? I think there is a problem in the church when we are not asking almost every day, what is my next step? And that, again, is, is takes us to that place where we get old and where we get kind of sloppy and we get a little lazy and, and slothful in our faith because we're not asking what our next steps are. Please, my encouragement is, in 20 years of ministry, is don't get satisfied with what you have already accomplished. I think Paul and Barnabas could have said, we have done a lot. Enough said. 
This traveling is hard on our bodies. We are older. But instead, they said, what God is our next step? What is it that we can do next? And they got together and said, you know what? We need to go and revisit the people that we have already ministered to. We are not satisfied with just sharing the gospel, but we want more. We want to get among people and share our lives. They could have sent letters. Paul wrote a bunch of letters to a whole bunch of churches, but he didn't do that. He take, he took his comfort, he took his success, and he put all of it on the side, and he said, our next steps are to go back. Paul took three missionary journeys, each time be asking himself, what God do you want me to do next? Paul recognized that the time was short. Paul recognized that if he didn't keep moving forward, there would be plenty of people who would not hear about Jesus. And so for us, every one of us here, the constant challenge as a church, which we say as the church of next steps is, what are your next steps? What is it that you need to do next? You may be very well sitting right now in a pew saying, I feel a lot like those some of them people in Antioch. There's things in this church that frustrate me. There are things in this church that I struggle with. I want more. What can we do that can, can make more happen in this church? And my encouragement and looking at those some of them in Acts chapter 11, my challenge to you is your next steps are to start taking next steps in the area where God has burdened you wherever it may be, and start doing something about it. I would say one of the things for me, looking at a ministry leader, looking down and seeing all the people who are doing various ministries, a lot of times my head is so focused and not seeing the whole picture. And I can tell you there are a lot of things that we as a leadership team do that don't give us the opportunity to think out of the box because sometimes someone like me is so busy maintaining the box, making sure that the box is doing okay, that I can't see outside, that I need people like you who are sitting there saying, here's something we're not doing and I believe God has called this church to do something. You may very well be the sum of them in Antioch that will leave Harvest Community Church. You will lead Harvest Community Church to the next steps that we need to take. Take, for instance, community involvement. Not just the Korean American or Chinese American or second generation American church that we're dealing with, but the actual community that we live in. I would imagine, and I've talked to some of you, that there's desire to do something. And the next step for those of you who feel that is to begin taking those next steps. To say, this is where we can go. These are the desires and passions that I have. And as you go in God's strength, I can imagine that he will bless you and bear fruit through your ministry and expand the ministry of Harvest Community Church. Those are your next steps. What else about us next steps? We need to take next steps. Some of you may very well be satisfied. You may be looking and saying, man, I really have done a lot. I can tell you after 20 years, I've only been on sabbatical once. I'm ready to go on sabbatical again, not because I don't like being here. But I think there's a tendency in me to want to take it easy. So I've done 20 years. 20 years in one career is for a lot for a lot of people. 
but it's not when God has his call on your life. We cannot be satisfied and say, I've done all of these things, and now it's time for me to take a break. One of the things I have noticed is people who take breaks often don't come back from those breaks. Why? Because we find out how easy it is not to serve God, how much less stress, how much less pressure, how many less things that you have to do that we grow comfortable. And one day we'll wake up and say, I've wasted my life. So my challenge to you as I finish is this. What is your next step? We take the example of Wayne and Hannah, and they could stay here. They are well-loved. The kids love them. They could have a great place to do ministry, and now they're going somewhere else because they're following God's leading to take a next step. Everyone here needs to take a next step if you're going to follow Jesus. Jesus does not stop and take a vacation. He keeps moving forward. So I want to just take a minute. I want you to take a minute, pull out a thing in front of you, the tithe thing or whatever it is, or your bulletin, and I want you to write down one area, not necessarily your next step, but one area, because I don't want you leaving here without taking the next step. And I'm going to give you about a minute or a minute and a half, and even while the worship team is worshiping, uh, to take their next step. Uh, in order to fill that out and say, this is one area I need to move forward on. Worship team, why don't you guys come up here? And I'm going to pray for us as you're writing that out. And I'm also going to pray for Calvary Church. Uh, They're the church that we're playing in softball today. And one of the things that we want to change about our league is to make it more of a fellowship in the sense of a Christian fellowship. So I'm going to pray for us as well as them. Father, I thank you for unknown, ordinary people all throughout Scripture who obeyed your commands and took their next steps. Jesus, we want to follow you. So I pray for us as individuals and as a corporate body. Speak to us about our next steps. What is it that you want us to do next? I pray for Calvary Church. And they've asked us to pray for the missionaries that they have sent to North Korea. And I would ask that as those missionaries have fulfilled and obeyed your command to go, that you would strengthen them, that your hand of favor would be upon them that there would be fruit in their ministry, that people who don't know Jesus in in what was once considered a capital area, the new Jerusalem of the Far East in Pyongyang, that these missionaries, with with your hand of favor upon their lives, will bear fruit. Strengthen them and encourage them. In Jesus' name, amen.